Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. But allow me to extend uh, greetings, first of all, to all of you who are here today, those of you who are joining online, those who are watching on Facebook, those who are watching on YouTube, those of you listening to the podcast, thank you for checking in and coming on this Lenten journey with us. And today I'm really excited because we're starting a sermon series that will take us all the way up to Palm Sunday and will drop us off right at the foot of the cross for Good Friday. But I want to introduce it to you by telling a story that just happened to me. So I got a call about 10 days ago from a, a dear friend of mine who I've coached baseball with for many, many years. And he said, my father's just passed away. Would you be willing to come and do a graveside service for him? And I said, I'd be, it'd be my honor to do so, to serve your family in that way. And so I get there, and he's off in the crowd. I don't see him or his family, but I get there, and I mean, I know all the funeral directors. So the first thing I do is go say, hi, the funeral director. We're buddies. It's good to see you. How you doing? Everything good? Yeah, we're fine. All right, and then the kids see me, including my former ball player. All right, he, he sees me, and he sees me walking away. And I go back to the truck, and I start putting on my robe. Because I wear, like, even at a graveside, it is a church service I show up as a representative of the church. So I wear robes at a graveside. And he's looking at me. He's trying to figure out what's going on. So I come back. He goes, why did you put on a lab coat? And I had to stop, I'm like, wait, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> not his tradition, obviously. Good kid, not his tradition. Used to seeing me in gym shorts and a t-shirt in the middle of a ball field. But I tell you this story because as much as this robe was weird for my buddy, Lent, let's be honest with one another, is a weird time for Christians. We do some weird stuff, Right? Like, we begin by smearing ashes on the forehead, which seems to be in direct contradiction to the very scripture we read on that particular day when he says, don't practice your piety before others. So we go ahead and put it right on our foreheads. Like, let's, like, let's be honest with one another. It's a little odd. We're super serious about confession. Like, all of a sudden, we got all these confessional elements. Like, it gets dark and deep, like really fast, like last week, transfiguration, new members. This week, oh, God forgive me, I'm a sinner. We talk a lot about fasting as if that would bring anyone into the church, which we kind of know is religious, but it sort of sounds like a New Year's resolution gone awry. You kind of know what I mean? It's like, I didn't get it done in January, so I'm just going to bring it back for Lent and see if I can give up chocolate cake now. Look, I'm not, I'm not criticizing I'm just saying that to a certain set of eyeballs, Lent looks really, really weird. And Lent can feel really insidery, like it just belongs to us and it's not really for anyone else. It can feel like there's secret languages or practices that you've got to buy into if Lent is going to matter. We can be a lot like my ball player who's like, why, why are you putting on a lab coat? Why in the world are you smearing ashes on your forehead? They can feel that way. And friends, I'm here to tell you, if that's how people perceive it, that's death for spiritual formation. The idea that God is way outside of us and we've got to wrap our arms around all these kind of things. Like that puts a barrier between us and the Savior whose, whose resurrection we're going to proclaim in a couple of weeks. And here's the thing anyway. Good spiritual formation isn't so much about the things outside ourselves 
as it is practices and community that help us understand, interpret, and develop what's already in our lives. Hear that again. Good spiritual formation isn't about things that are outside of us, although those things have, can have value. What good spiritual formation does is that it creates practices and a community, a practicing community, that helps us understand, interpret, and develop what's already present in our lives. What you need for a good Lent is already baked in, which is my title for this sermon series. The things you need to do Lent well are already baked into your life. And Lent is just a time that we focus on some of those hidden parts of our lives, some of the things we don't always want to deal with, And it's not always easy, but Lent is a way of focusing on those places and to mine them for God's wisdom. And that's the good news, is that we are full of God's wisdom. If only we can understand how to make sense of it. And we do that best with practices and with a community that speaks back to us. So today we're going to start week one of six weeks of Baked In. You might not know about Lent, but I bet you know about some other things. And so today we begin with this story, this classic first Sunday of Lent story. Jesus has just come off his baptism, and we read this story several weeks ago where the heavens are torn open. John the Baptist puts them down, he brings them up, heavens are torn open, and God says, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. It's this glorious, beautiful, it might be my favorite scene in all of scripture outside of the resurrection itself. It's wonderful. Literally two sentences later, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days, which, by the way, is where 40 days of Lent comes from. We're imitating Jesus in this way. So Jesus is in the desert where it's difficult. The landscape of the Middle East is not forgiving. He's got nothing to eat. And if that isn't enough, the story recounts to us that he just runs into Satan as if he's a guy you'd see at the supermarket. See, I told you Lent, got, Lent gets dark. <laughs> like right out of the gate, we're like, we're dealing with Satan. Like, yikes. But friends, this is the archetypal first story of Lent. Now, I doubt that many of you have done a lot of wandering in the desert or have had a face-to-face run-in with Satan. If you have, you need to come into my office and you need to tell me about it. I'm interested in that story. But it's not about coming face-to-face with Satan, and it's not about going into the desert and wandering around aimlessly. No, you may not understand everything about Lent, but here's what Jesus experiences, and here's what I bet you do know about. I bet you know about suffering. I bet you know about pain. And I bet you're wondering about that suffering and about that pain and how it makes sense in the life of faith. And you understand how vulnerable pain can make us feel. The main characters in this story, of course, are Jesus and Satan, but the environment that supports the entire story is one of suffering. Now, Jesus is in a unique spot. Again, he's heard God's tremendous blessing and call. There's no doubt that Jesus got a unique mission in the world. And that in itself, as glorious as it was, can be heavy. You ever walked around with that sense that you have something, something special to offer? That there's just there's something you can do. There's, there's something special about you. That burden is beautiful. It also can be heavy. Well, Jesus is carrying that very burden. And he heads to the desert. Certainly a harsh and pain-inducing landscape. But in an even deeper way, this entry into the desert would have been a way of Jesus connecting 
through 40 days of the 40 years that his ancestor had wandered through the same wilderness. Generations before, because of their faith in God and then their faithlessness in God, the people of Israel wander for 40 years. And that is a spiritual weight that Jesus now feels. Remembering, yes, that God had sustained them through manna and quail, but also remembering that they did things like the golden calf and they did things like, you know what, we got to get rid of Moses and do something else. There's faithfulness and there's faithlessness and Jesus is thinking about all these things out there. That's a weight too. He's fasting. He's feeling the pain of not enough. And then, of course, we have Satan. Now, let's make sense of Satan here for a second. Satan throughout the scriptures has multiple facets. There's multiple ways that the scriptures are describing sort of this adversary. None of them are a dude with a pitchfork. Like, let's just get that out of the way. The images we do get are one of the accuser. In the Old Testament, it's Satan who stands. He's sort of in the courts of God, which is an interesting thing to think about. But he's in the courts of God kind of accusing humanity of constantly failing. He's an accuser. We see in the Old Testament also that he is a deceiver. Did God really say? The first words we attribute to Satan. Satan is an accuser and a deceiver. And how the accusations and deception comes into Jesus' life in this moment, we can argue. But I bet a lot of them had to do with the thoughts that were in his own head as he, were out here, as he was out here. Now you've been here, right? In your life. Now, you've not been the Savior, not wandered in a desert, but you've been in places where you're out of your element, you're uncertain. In fact, you're feeling exposed in your pain. And whatever your particular pain, isn't that the place you need God to meet you most? Friends, it is significant that the first step of Jesus' public ministry is not to the temple or even to a local synagogue to proclaim, how, to, to proclaim his mission. Jesus' first step in public ministry is straight into the heart of suffering. It is straight into the vulnerability that suffering brings about. In this way, to be a Christian is to encounter deep, difficult vulnerability. This is the way of Jesus. And friends, this is a beautiful thing for us as we sit here. Because if Jesus is going to be my savior, if Jesus is going to make claims on my life and say, here's the path that I want you to walk, then for me anyway, he's got to know what my life is about. He's got to know what I've been through. He's got to know the suffering that I have felt in body, mind, and spirit. Jesus got to know that. If he's just sitting out there on his throne being like, Sammy, you just need to do better, I can't serve that God. I can't. Maybe you can. I can't serve that God. And this is what's so special about what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't wait. He's thrust right into the middle of it. So when Lent feels heavy, it's not because it's a weird fascination with pain, but because Jesus comes to do something about that. Jesus wants us to take a serious and honest look at our real lives. Yes, in its glory, but also in its brokenness. And when Jesus is vulnerable, that's when the temptations come. Pain makes us vulnerable, and it opens us up to temptations. Jesus has three, 
and they are instructive, and I have every suspicion you've heard a lot of sermons about this passage. So we'll go through these quick, but that doesn't mean that they're not meaningless. First, there is this temptation to just simplify, to give up the message that he's given and just do something that's simpler and quicker and easier. Satan says, turn these loaves into bread. Like, dude, you're hungry. Like, why don't you just take care of that need? And in this, Jesus is tempted to forget his call and to just be a do-gooder in the world, to proclaim a message of just social justice. Like, just put a chicken in every pot and let's call it a day. Except Jesus says, well, there's more to our lives than that. We're going to put some chickens in some pots. And Jesus does that throughout his ministry, but he reminds us, you do not live by bread alone. But in our vulnerability, sometimes are we not tempted to simplify, just get it over with. Secondly, and I'm out of order with the story, forgive me, but Satan proposes this, proposes to draw a crowd. Well, if you're not going to simplify, then get big. Get big and get visible. He says, climb up to the top of the temple, throw yourself off. The angels will catch you. And guess what? You'll be popular. You'll have drawn a crowd. You'll have demonstrated how wonderful you are. But if Jesus has to prove himself in this one time, guess what Jesus is going to do for the rest of his ministry? He's going to have to prove himself over and over and over again. And Jesus is here to remind us that God is not to be tested. God is to be worshipped. And Jesus is having none of this test, this draw a crowd, make a circus, be the center of attention. And finally, the third temptation, Satan offers power. He goes full empire and he says, look, I'll give you all of this. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. He says, I will give you the world and its ways, the ways of empire, the ways of, the ways of violence, the ways of manipulation. I'll give it all to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus rejects wholeheartedly the ways of violence and empire to embrace the way of the cross. These temptations arise because the question at the core of all of this, the question in front of Jesus as he is struggling, as he is suffering, as he is vulnerable, the question in front of him is, are you going to be who you really are? Or are you going to take the shortcut? Are you going to be who you really are or you just want out? Because when everything is stripped down, when everything is exposed, there's actually something that we can grab onto. There's a perspective we can get, a better judgment of who we are. In this way, pain and struggle, the difficulties in our lives, as much as we are vulnerable, can also create for us clarity. And that's the great promise of Lent. The great hope of Lent is that our pain, our failures, our sins, our struggles, our brokenness, our unfulfilled expectations, whatever it is that we are feeling deep inside of ourselves, can actually be a way that we can understand ourselves and be our most authentic selves. Because after hunger and weakness and vulnerability and temptations are whispering in Jesus' ear, Jesus knows all the more who he is. And he embraces it then with courage and with resolve. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me a lot of imagination to believe that the resolve that Jesus found here in the desert is the same that resolve that he shows fully formed when he's face-to-face with Pilate and hearing the crowd chant, crucify him, he yet never wavers because he knows who he is. 
And so, friends, as we come face-to-face in Lent with our pain, we are invited to open up our imaginations to what might be happening. Pain can, in some ways, clarify our past. It can help us understand ourselves better. We've all been through a funeral or the death of a loved one or the brokenness in a relationship where it causes us to think back and, like, how did that relationship develop? What was wonderful about that relationship? Where were there gaps in that relationship? And it helps us figure that out. I remember my own grandfather. The day that he told us that he had brain cancer was the day he learned how to hug. He's an old, good old German farmer, tough guy, work, work 24 hours a day kind of thing, you know. But the day that he had that was the first time I remember him coming up to me and just giving me a hug. I'm doing the whole, like, what are you doing? You've been there, right? It was in the brain cancer that he discovered how important all of us, he discovered it to a new level. I always knew I was loved. But it was a new level of understanding of that relationship. And we got to share that in the last moments of it. I've never been hugged so much in my life. Every time I went over to see him, there was another hug from this dude who was just always bigger than life to me. It clarified the relationships for my pop-pop. It made him more of the person that he always was. I also remember that our pain can help us clarify ourselves and the kids will laugh at me when I tell this story, and you might laugh at me too, but I will never forget as I was, I was down in the basement one time, not this basement, previous basement, cleaning up some stuff, and I was going through my hockey gear, and I took out my skates, and I was looking at the bottom, and all of the plastic that holds my wheels to my boots had all chipped away. It was all coming off, and like I couldn't wear those skates anymore, and I started sobbing. So my skates... And I was in a tremendous amount of pain because I thought it was over. It's like this thing that matters so much to me, I thought it was over. It's like, oh, that's that. This part of my life is gone. But it showed me just how important those relationships, that, if you'll permit me, a locker room space, it's just good for my soul. It's not always good for my ears, but it is good for my soul to just be around guys who I want to hit and who want to hit me, and all in Jesus' name. It told me a little bit about what was most central to who I am. Is hockey the most important thing in my life? No, but does it matter to me? Yeah, it kind of it does. And because of that, I went looking for it. And I'm healthier now because I hit somebody on occasion and they hit me, all in Jesus' name. How many stories have you heard of friends and loved ones who gave such wise and sage advice in their last days in the midst of excruciating pain? I'm willing to bet that some of the greatest wisdom and some of the deepest wells of strength in your lives come out of some of those scars. Yes, we have struggles in Lent. Yes, there is pain in the world, but that pain has the opportunity to clarify who we are and what we're really about. It has the power to call us to our truest selves. So whatever your struggles, Lent is an opportunity. To go with the baking analogy, it is yeast that can enliven our experiences and produce meaning and purpose and focus. That doesn't mean that pain shouldn't be relieved in some people, but it does mean that our ears should be attuned to it when we see it. Lent calls us to look at the hard spots when we're asked to be honest about sin, when we feel the weight of the world coming apart at the seams. What really matters? Who am I really and where is God really present? As bombs currently fall on an innocent nation, we realize that empire is always going to be the way of violence and destruction. Always. 
As we hear stories of bigotry and racism, we gain deeper conviction that God's love encompasses everyone and that we should always, always be listening to and prioritizing the weak and the vulnerable and the unheard in our pursuit of Jesus. As we battle with death, we get clarity about the importance of each moment and the power of legacy. These vulnerabilities will not destroy us. In fact, they can make us if we let it and we have the imagination to do it. And so friends, let your ears perk up to your own pain. Let your ears be attuned to how it creates clarity and may we find our deepest selves and understand that Jesus is not one who calls us out of it but walks in our pain and struggle with us. And that is why, for me, he can be called our savior. 